0: The LMA podcast featuring thought provoking conversations with legal marketing and business experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the LMA podcast. My name is Brenda Plowman, and I'm the CMO for Faskin. We're a Canadian based law firm with 10 offices globally and over 750 lawyers. I'm also president elect for 2022 for LMA International, and it is my pleasure to welcome you today to this podcast. LMA is thrilled to be collaborating with Harvard Law School Executive Education to bring you content and thought leadership. Our podcast will focus on the importance of women's leadership in organizations and some of the key successes to overcome the challenges that face women in their roles. As someone who has always held leadership roles on boards and as someone who has grown with my organization to the top role in marketing and business development, I'm excited to have this opportunity to host this podcast. I think that this is a really important topic for all of us in the legal sphere. Whether working with the lawyers we work with, working for the clients we work for, or leading the teams that are helping us do our jobs every day, this is a really important topic for all of us. Our guest today is Dr. Hilary Sale. Dr. Sale is a recognized expert in leadership and corporate governance. She has been a member of the FINRA Board of Governors since 2016, where she chairs the Regulatory Policy Committee and serves on the Executive Nominating and Governance Compensation and Regulatory Operations Committees. She is also a member of the Advisory Board of Foundation Press, an educational publisher of scholarly books, and Director of Direct Women, a nonprofit focused on increasing the presence of women on public company boards. I'm particularly excited about that. Hillary is the chair of Direct Women Board Institute and serves on Direct Women's Executive Nominations and Governance and Selection Committees. Hillary, she's got an impressive resume, is the Associate Dean for Strategy, an award winning scholar, and the Agnes William Sissequential Professor of Law and Professor of Management at Georgetown University. In addition to running governance and leadership programs, Hillary consults regularly with CEOs and C suite executives on leadership, governance, strategy, inclusion and diversity, and company culture. And she works with business leaders in both custom education programs and programs at Harvard Law, where she chairs the Women's Leadership Initiative and the Georgetown McDonough School of Business and Law Center. Dr. Sale has been studying women leadership and developing women leaders for a long time. Hillary, welcome. It is our pleasure to have you here today.
1: Thank you, Brenda, and thank you so much for that beautiful and generous introduction. I'm so happy to be here with you and all of your podcast listeners today and to have the chance to get to know these women and people in the Legal Marketing Association
0: better. Fantastic. I thought we needed to do justice to your background to help people really understand who you are and what you bring. So let's get started by jumping into the research. There's a real business case for developing women leaders and bringing women through that chain of leadership within organizations. I just want to turn it over to you and let you get started.
1: Thank you talk to you about some of the research that is out there in this space. I know that most of your people for sure are familiar with the business case for diversity. And of course, your people focus on it. Marketing people focus on this all the time because clients demand it in the legal space and the marketing people are among the first to respond to that demand and help the rest of us lawyers be responsive to it. So I want to tell you about one of my most favorite studies. It is a study that was initiated by academics at MIT, Berkeley, and Johns Hopkins. And these people were group intelligence researchers, and they decided that they wanted to measure whether the intelligence level of a group impacted its ability to perform. So they assigned people randomly to groups, gave them tasks to perform, and then measured the speed and the accuracy of their performance on various tasks as a group. They collected a lot of data, and when they began to analyze the data, they found something they weren't looking for. The groups with more women performed better. Now, I don't find that surprising because I'm a woman, but they found it surprising And so then they started to study it and they added women to the groups. And every time they increased the number of women in the group, the results improved. And then they'd add another woman and the results got better. And it kept up until they went to a group comprised solely of women and then the results plummeted. There are lots of takeaways from that. One, as I like to say is, it turns out you only need one man to get anything done. But another is, you need diversity. You need the creative friction that diversity produces. Creative friction is the most compelling part of the business case for diversity. Diverse teams are more innovative. That's important information for all of us. And that study has been fascinating and they've continued to work on it. And one of the things that they think now accounts for that difference is that women have different communication styles and those communication styles were more conducive to changing outcomes and getting closer to a better, stronger outcome. That kind of research is really important because other data tells us that both men and women favor men over equally qualified women. I'm gonna say the first part of that again, both men and women favor men over equally qualified women when it comes to hiring, compensation, performance, evaluation, and promotion. That is a stunning piece of research. What that tells us is bias is at work. And that's not surprising. Everyone has bias. It's not evil. It's just pernicious. And that's why it's so important for all of us to train ourselves and own our own growth. I could go on, but Brenda, maybe I should take a breath and see what other parts of the research you might like to
0: talk about. Thank you. I mean, that—that that is really fascinating. I'm curious, Hillary, if you can lean into that just a little bit. I know you work with C-suites and individuals in organizations. So with that type of research, Is there anything you can share with us about your own experience working with organizations and helping them move along that path? And then I'd love to talk about sort of owning our own growth, but I'm curious first about that corporate environment and how the research applies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there is a a whole nother pile of research, as I like to say, that looks at things like if male leaders speak more in meetings than their female counterparts, how is that perceived? And the answer is they're perceived as more competent. And if we speak more women leaders in meetings, how are we perceived as talking too much? We're interrupted more often in meetings. When you look at the leadership competencies that we think are really important in powerful leaders, Women leaders have more of those competencies than our male counterparts, but when asked to rate ourselves, we rate ourselves lower. What does that tell you? Tells you we have a confidence gap. And I am personally very focused on, of course, helping organizations think about and how to manage these issues, but I am personally dedicated helping women understand the research and think about how they can become better advocates for themselves, how they can own their growth in a more powerful and strong way, develop their leadership styles, and learn about what we bring naturally to the table and how we can use it best to advance ourselves and, most importantly, our teams.
0: Fantastic. So... You know, I think at the top of our podcast, I talked about my own trajectory in my firm. And so I'm really interested. One of the things that I had no idea about was my own confidence for a while until I came into this role and some of the women who are on my team started to talk to me about tell us how you did this. So it is fascinating for me if you could lean into a little bit more on how do women develop confidence? Because I see their capacity, their potential, but I think that is absolutely key to them being successful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the pieces of data that I think is really important, and this one is one that more people seem to have heard, but I think it's important to take this piece of data and think about it in terms of our own career ownership. And that is the data about when women apply for and seek jobs and promotions. And that data tells us that men apply when they have about 60 to 65 percent of the skills listed and women don't apply till they hit 95 percent. And I have a pretty basic standard response to that, which is if you have 95% of the skills on the list, you've already done that job. And you shouldn't be applying for it, you should be applying for the next one. And more importantly, if men can apply at 60 to 65, why can't we? And the answer is we can, but we don't. It feels like a leap. We are rule followers, so if we read a description that says, this is what you need, we think we need it all. But it turns out we don't. It turns out we're missing opportunities relative to our other peers who are opting in and asking for the opportunity. So what I like to talk about and one of the things we do in the HLS program is train people on self-advocacy, how to think about how to ask for those opportunities. And we actually work on pitches for all kinds of opportunities. Self-advocacy is a 365, 24-7 proposition. It's not just a performance review or job application approach. And we really emphasize self-advocacy in the HLS program and learning to think about it and do it. We do it over and over and over again in that program because I think it's so
0: vital. Well, and it is developing a skill that you've already articulated isn't one that comes naturally to us by our nature. So I think that idea where we have the opportunity to practice is helpful.
1: Yes, I absolutely agree with you, Brenda. And it builds confidence.
0: I can see that because, you know, when you think about when someone says to you, have more confidence, you know, advocate for self, the difference between How do I do that from where I am today to moving into that position where you're actually able to articulate it? You have to practice and you have to, I think this leads into something else I know that you're very passionate about, which is sponsors. And I have to say, I've worked with people in my career, not supervisors, but people who have been advocates for me before I became an advocate for myself. And so I really wanted to hear from you about your own point of view and what you believe in terms of sponsors, because I know that that's a big piece of who you are.
1: Thank you, Brenda. I just wanna say you're so lucky to have, have had great advocates and sponsors, but you're not just lucky. It turns out that is actually key probably to how you achieved the position you did. So the research on sponsorship is also very compelling. And there's quite a bit of it out there. I personally like the research from Catalyst the best. And the reason why I like it is because, first of all, they were one of the first. And second of all, their research is panel-based research. So let me just say for a second what that is and why it's different. If you think about polling research where you dip into a population, collect information, and then dip out, Panel-based research is different. Panel-based research takes a group of people and follows the exact same group of people over a long period of time. So Catalyst followed a group of MBAs over a period of a decade, and I think they're still following them. They followed them just as they were coming out of their MBA programs into their careers and beyond. And they expected to find certain kinds of demographic information, including that the men might progress further faster than the women because that would be consistent with what we've seen in the workspace. But what they found that they weren't expecting was in fact the sponsorship effect. The fact that women were not progressing as fast as the men is connected to the fact that the men were building sponsors more easily. In part, that's true because there are more men at higher levels in most organizations than there are women. And to go back to my point about natural bias before, people like people who are like themselves. That's not evil, it's just pernicious. It gets in our way. So there are a couple of things that are really important, I think, to know about and think about with respect to sponsors. Generally speaking, you earn them. You earn them by stretching yourself out of your comfort zone and getting spotted, and that means taking a risk and not following all the rules. It means asking for forgiveness instead of permission on occasion professionally, and that is something that we're a little less comfortable doing. It also means learning how to be a good self-advocate, asking for opportunities that will help you stretch and grow. And that is what, again, will earn you the sponsors, the stretching, the growing, and risk-taking. And then it means executing well, but not perfectly. So for all of those perfectionists out there listening to us, perfect can be the enemy of the good. And sometimes executing well is good enough, and you shouldn't beat yourself up over it.
0: You should keep executing well. It's a hard lesson to learn, not executing perfectly and to give the forgiveness and actually allow your sponsor to really be that for you. You know, when I think about a sponsor I have, I only came about that sponsor through the work that I was doing, and they were able to actually identify themselves for me. Very interesting, because I didn't identify them. And what I watched and have watched for five years is them advocate for me and continue to pull and push me forward. And it's remarkable to me. I think it would be useful for people to hear what the difference between a sponsor and a mentor is because they're very different.
1: Yes, absolutely, Brenda. And the way you described your sponsor is like textbook for the research in terms of the role one would play. And every time they push you and pull you along and encourage you to take an opportunity and give you access to an opportunity, They're doing exactly what a sponsor does. So mentors are really important. Those are great people that you can go to for advice about your career. And if you're new to an organization and have a mentor, they can help you understand the norms and the unwritten rules so that you can figure out the organization and perform to your best. What a sponsor can do for you that is different is they take their own reputation and they put it at risk for you, they stake their reputation for you. When they recommend you for something, their reputation is at risk. And that's important because that's why you wanna perform well, remember I didn't say perfectly, but it isn't the end of the world if you make a mistake. It's important if you make a mistake, you clean it up, you own it, you move on. And sometimes you have a sponsor that you don't actually know is your sponsor until later. In other words, the first time they recommend you for something, you don't even know they've done that. And over time, as that relationship grows, it's your role to take care of the relationship, to let the sponsor know how much you appreciate what they've done, to thank them, to include them in your career growth strategies, because that's part of what they get out of the relationship. This, like all other network relationships, is two-sided.
0: You know, I don't think I understood the concept of sponsors until I listened to a session that you had done for someone else. And I really see it's so great to name it. And I think for our listeners to really think about that, because you likely have those relationships within your organization today and you're living them, but it is seeing them for what they are and really seeing that they're putting the reputation on the line and also just how you're talking about nurturing that relationship moving forward. So thank you for that. I you're right.
1: And if I could just say, Brenda, in the HLS program, in our WLAA program, we do a case study of an amazing woman leader, and we examine her sponsorship as a sponsor and a sponsoree. We look at how she built those relationships and how she leads and manages and how she is a good self-advocate, right? We wrap all those issues together in that case study at the end of our program. And it's an incredibly great, like powerful look into how these relationships develop and how you can build them.
0: And I think that that is an opportunity that's really unique when you think about, like, I'm thinking now about my own sponsorship relationships. But where I'm at in my career, I'm starting to think about how I can sponsor others and really understanding all elements of where we're at in our career and those multi dimensions that we need to undertake as women leaders. You know, many of my sponsors, honestly, are men, which is incredible, and they have advocated so strongly for me but it's also understanding how I can pay it forward and pay it back at some level. And so I really think that that is an exciting part of the program.
1: Yeah. And I love hearing you say that.
0: Well, I'm a keener for this type of um, this type of work. So I'm, I'm very thankful you're working on it. So I do have a question. I know that you focus on being strategic and I think this is a really big challenge for people. You know, I have heard in my career you're tactical, you're not strategic, or, you know, that's great, we want to we encourage you to elevate and be more strategic. And I'm wondering if you can give our listeners any advice on this notion of being strategic.
1: Absolutely. So first of all, I want to say, and I always say this when I'm talking to a group of women, that sometimes women see the word strategic as a word like political, it has a negative connotation and that I think gets in our way. So when we talk about self-advocacy at HLS, for example, I say strategic matters. And I often like this kind of being strategic to the way we teach strategy in business schools, which is strategy occupies the place between vision and tactics. And in this program, we work on personal strategic growth plans with a vision of where you want to be five years or 10 years down the road, and then building in the strategy down to the tactics to get you there, right? Strategy is about what's unique about you, what adds value, what grows over time. And it's true for an organization and it's true for individuals. And what you really want to focus on is not just what you say yes to, but what you can say no to, both personally and professionally. So I think a great exercise is literally to ask yourself, what is the strategy of your firm? And if you're not sure, it probably means you're not thinking strategically or arguably your firm's not. But learning to think about alignment and the steps that you need to build out your strategy, is really important and it's about elevating over the day-to-day execution and tasks and into thinking about the parts of the organization that have to fit together to execute on whatever that is that adds
0: value. I think that is a very valuable reminder for us in the legal marketing world. There is what we like to call a fire hose of tasks. And so every day is busy, there's all kinds of needs, but it is elevating and really thinking about that alignment with our firms and the strategy, what we're trying to accomplish. I'm fortunate to be able to do that in the way that focuses on our clients and how we're trying to grow our business and working with our lawyers. I think, you know, we can all do that in our roles and really think through beyond what are the multitude of tasks that never end. What can we do to really align with that firm strategy? So very useful insight and really drawing that connection with vision and tasks is very helpful.
1: Oh, great. Thank you.
0: Well, this has been really insightful and I want to thank you, but I want to give you a moment to really just touch on the Harvard Law School Executive Education Program that you've got coming up. Is there anything that we haven't touched on today that you'd like to share with our audience?
1: Thank you, Brenda. I really appreciate that. So first of all, of course, we'd love to have you all in our program and you're welcome to go to the website and look us up and see what we have to offer. This women's leadership program is really, really fun. The faculty is all women, the participants are all women. And in my experience that produces an array of conversations that is empowering and growth oriented. We have terrific faculty in this program. We have a, one woman from the Kennedy School who will be teaching some sessions on adaptive leadership, which is all about how you can make change in the organization, cushion loss, and move things forward. It's really powerful material and very interesting. We actually have another woman in this spring session from the Kennedy School of Government, who will be teaching negotiations, let's face facts, no matter how much negotiations help we get, we can always use more. And the strategies around gender in that space are so interesting and powerful. And then of course, we'll have the self-advocacy sessions and we'll do a session on remote teams with the diagnostic exercise on teams and teamwork, which is really, really useful for thinking about how to put a team together or how to address bumps along the road with your team. And also keep us in the framework of thinking about our teams and how we can advocate for them because it turns out that when we advocate for ourselves, the more we refer to our teams, the less of a penalty we pay as women. So it should be a lot of fun and we'd love to have you join us.
0: Fantastic. So I'd like to finish up today and talking a little bit about uh, gender diversity and just the impact women can have on the bottom line. I know there's more research on that. Maybe before you share some of that with our listeners, I just want to talk about, you know, my own vision. Part of, we talked about sponsors earlier, and I really think I'm in a fortunate place in my career. I've been with my firm for 15 years. I'm still growing, I'm still learning and I'm really excited about the future. I think about my own opportunity to really sponsor the women on my team, but also the men, because to your point, when you started this, it's that exchange and that diversity where I really see us develop and grow. And I'm certainly excited about bringing that to LMA as I come into the role of president next year. And I try to bring that every day as I work on the board this year as well, because we have lots of great work to do. But I'm wondering, just from a business perspective, can you share a few insights with our listeners on the impact to the bottom line?
1: Absolutely. Brenda, I just want to say before I do that, LMA is so lucky to have you coming into that role. And I know you'll do a terrific job. You're so insightful and thoughtful about leadership and that will be a real benefit for the organization. Thank you. So I wanna close with some really interesting research that I know many of us have heard before. It's the business case for diversity. It is one of the most powerful business cases we have. And one of the things about diversity that's tricky is that when you build in diversity, you get friction and that doesn't always feel good but that friction is at the root of why diversity works. It's creative friction. It's different mindsets and different ways of processing that produce better and more powerful outcomes. It gets more ideas on the table if you build in inclusion and that's what makes diversity sticky and powerful. So here's some of what we know with respect to gender. Startups led by women are more likely to succeed. Innovative workplaces with women at the top are more profitable. Companies with more gender diversity have more revenue, they have more customers, they have more market share, they have more profit, and none of those are surprising. They're completely consistent with the business case for diversity, which I know all of you care about.
0: We certainly do. Thank you, Hillary, so much for joining us today. This discussion has been incredibly insightful and I think actionable for our listeners. So we really appreciate you bringing your time and sharing it with our audience.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: For our listeners, we trust today gave you some insights on sponsors, on being strategic, that place between vision and tactics, and also developing your self-confidence and using that muscle that we know you have. You just have to find a way to put it into practice, and this program will actually give you that opportunity, and we wish you the best in terms of your leadership journey. It's a fun ride. It's yours, so you need to make it everything you can, and thank you for joining us. LMA is so pleased to bring you this thought leadership, the research, and expertise To our audiences. We know that ensuring gender diversity within our own organization and with the organizations we work for is absolutely critical to our long-term success. To support the professional development of legal professionals, Harvard is extending a discounted program of 10% off all of the Harvard Law School executive education programs to LMA members. For more information, you can check it out on our website. Dr. Sale is offering the upcoming program that we spoke about, titled Women's Leadership, Adapting and Advocating in a Remote Environment. I hope you'll take advantage of it. Thank you again for joining us today. That concludes another installment of the LMA podcast. To discover all that LMA has to offer, visit legalmarketing.org. For links to content featured in this episode, please check out the show notes. If you like the podcast and want to help others find us, We hope you'll take the time to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Thank you and have a great day.